Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Go to doer.ca and use the code jesseblake15, that's my first name and my last name, and then a 1-5, and get 15% off of your order at doer.ca. That's D-U-E-R dot C-A. And Doer, Canadian brand, Canadian clothing brand, men's and women's clothes. And I always tell you about the performance denim and how unbelievable comfy their pants are. But they also have like unique accessories, like their performance stretch belt, which is a braided belt. And it's for all sizes because of the braided belt part where you can just stick it into any size. And like they have such unique accessories like that. And their toque, which is super comfy. And their tees, which are very soft. Go to doer.ca, check out all of their clothing, use the code jessieblake15, get 15% off of your order today. Think you know a way it's going to go? Make your bet at Sports Interaction. We're on the road to the Super Bowl, and Sports Interaction has you covered pregame, live betting in all major sports, and prop bets. My bet for the Super Bowl is I think it's going to be the Bills versus the 49ers. The Bills right now are 4-1-ish to one-ish to win the Super Bowl. The 49ers are 5-1-ish to one-ish. To win the Super Bowl. I'm shocked that the 49ers are the favorite out of the NFC to make it to the Super Bowl right now. I thought a lot of people will still be on the Eagles, but like who knows about the Eagles right now because of how shaky Jalen Hurts' injury status was coming out of the regular season there, only playing that one week 18 game. And they were they'd been okay, but they kind of peaked in the middle. 49ers probably coming out of the NFC. Like the 49ers. Uh I like the Bills, though, in the big game, 4-1 to one, still on sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. If you want to bet, that's where you head to, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. The Jesse Blake Sports Report. Really? Oh, wait, really? The Jesse Blake Sports Report. That's it? Don't forget, it's the Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. You know, that's kind of redundant. Dude, is there a problem? No, no, that's fine. I, I just, you know, I thought maybe you guys would come up with something, you know, good. Man, just read it. You know what? Doesn't matter to me. I get paid by the word. <laughs> Let's do this. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake. Powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Tonight in Montreal... The Montreal Canadiens are welcoming back P.K. Subban, one of the most controversial Canadians over the last, I don't know, decade of Montreal Canadiens, two decades of Montreal Canadiens. And who better to talk about his career than Andrew Berkshire and Julian McKenzie, two, one native of Montreal and one transplant who, who got there. Uh, Andrew, when did you get to Montreal? Uh, 2005 in oh, August. Wow. So, so you've lived longer in Montreal than anywhere else in the world, right? Yes, this is true. So uh, we, I've taken you away from Game Over Montreal and, and your duties on the CJ show and covering the Flames for uh, The Athletic, Julian. So thank you guys for joining me here today. Thanks so much for having us. You could say Andrew and I sort of traded places. Yeah, in a way. I came from Alberta and then you went over there. Clearly, yeah. I scared you away. Clearly, you did. <laughs> 
Yeah, you guys used to like hang out and stuff. I was very jealous that you could see each other in person when you were both in Montreal. Yeah. I mean, we go back. Like, it's been like, we've known each other since what, 2014, 2015? Yeah, probably around then. I can't remember what year it was when you first invited me on the, on CJLO. And I followed you when you Shout were on CJLO. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I followed you when you were interning at TSN even before that. So, yeah, on exactly. Twitter, I've been following you since Half Size on the Prize. Like, it's, it's like Berkshire and I, like, well before the SDPN united us together, we've been fans of, of each other. So, this happening is like, I don't want to say it's been destined, but uh, it's a long time coming. No, it's destiny. We we should believe in destiny. It was in the, it was written in the stars. I believe in destiny. I don't know if this is like I don't know if I wrote it like my like planner or journal or whatever. It's like I hope one day, man, I could just be on podcast with Andrew Berkshire for the rest of my life. That wasn't in your dream journal. Yeah, what the no, hell? it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> I did no, it wasn't there. I'm sorry, buddy. This but I'm glad the lead is. line in, in your journal. Book. <laughs> All right. So I think for for today, I want to because like it's it's such a. It's such a weird career that PK has had, and it's ended because he's retired this year. Because it's it's a loud career in a way that it made a lot of noise throughout it, and there aren't many hockey careers like that. So I feel like for for today's episode, we can just run down the timeline of his career, and we can chat about each moment. And going through that, you'll see how up and down and topsy turvy, and how nonstop it was throughout his entire tenure in the National Hockey League. And obviously, we've got to start from uh, day one when he's drafted, the 2007 draft. He's drafted by Bob Gainey, who was a fan of his game, and he slips to the second round. He uh, goes in the middle of the second round, 43rd overall. Do you guys remember that day? Because PK could have been a first-round pick, and he goes in the second round to Montreal, and it's, it's kind of a surprise pick that they got him that late in the draft. Yeah, it was a weird one. Uh, The main thing that I remember from that day is the second round pick who, you know, usually second round picks get their jersey and then they take a picture and go on. He goes up to the microphone. He's like, I'm going to bring a Stanley Cup to Montreal. (laughs) The confidence is right there right away. You immediately see what kind of person P.K. Subban is. Also, like that draft class that he was a part of, if I remember correctly, is like pretty stellar for the Montreal Canadiens, right? Like, He's in that second round. I want to say Max Pacioretty's in that round too. No, the first round. Went in first, the first round, twenty second overall. Do you remember? Who the, do you remember the Ryan McDonough? I was about to say the, the, the Canadians could have potentially had like a draft class with those two with those two defensemen and Max Pacioretty, and who knows what the team would have looked like throughout the next how many years? But we all know what ended up happening with Ryan McDonough. But I don't know how many people realized at the time, but like he would be a part of arguably the best. Canadians draft class of the 2000s. If oh, you really e- think easily. About it. Yeah. I would say easily. Like, I mean, yes, they, they get Carey Price in 2005, but like who else from 2005 really stands out? People in Montreal don't want to think about 2003 that much, but they at least get Yaroslav Alak at the near end. Noted Alan Walsh client, Yaroslav Alak, if I might add. Um, but 2007, uh, they, they get at least at the top end, some quality NHL players. At least two thirds of them are still playing today. And PK Subban, I think for a lot of Canadians fans ends up being the most iconic in terms of the memories and what he was able to provide to, to the fan base out of all three of those players, at least for those three specific draft picks. Mm-hmm. And if you look at where he went and the comparison about the other players within that draft, Montreal did a great job. 
Like they they identified a prospect and they got real value in the second round because the players above him are Patrick Kane, David Perron, Sam Gagne, Jamie Benn, JVR, Logan Couture, Michael Backlund. This is in terms of just like games played in the NHL. And PK comes in around, I don't know, 15th, 800 games, 100 goals. 350 assists as a defenseman like he because he's a standout out of that draft class and and Montreal did a really great job that year identifying him and Andrew you you brought it up right off the top like him going up to the podium and saying he's bringing a Stanley Cup to Montreal that's kind of that's the starting point that's the beginning that that lights the spark about who this guy is and that carried out throughout his 800 games here yeah and I think it also like immediately endeared him to the fans right because this is the team that was not in a good place in, in 2007. You know, the Carey Price pick was there. People had like thought about it, but he hadn't won in the World Juniors yet. That, or wait, maybe he had. Yeah, that would have been that year. It would have been that year. So that was the Jonathan Cage sure. shootout year, right? So like there was excitement yeah. coming from that. And then you've got this kid who just like immediately endears himself and goes on and has, you know, two World Juniors of himself for himself that uh, he was spectacular in. You know, it, it like started the excitement of like the era that I broke into media in where the Canadians were actually good before this, like take apart slow descent that we've had that was kind of like punctuated by that crazy Stanley cup final run. So it was really like uh, the beginning of the defining of the next decade uh, with Subban's comments there. I feel like the fan base, like when I moved to Montreal, you could go down to the bell center and they were selling out every night, but you could get a ticket for like 25 bucks day of a game. It was not hard to get a ticket. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, it was, it was extremely difficult and extremely expensive to get a ticket. The team changed very quickly. Yeah. Julian, as being... just like a kid growing up in Montreal, do you remember 2007, that era, the 2007 through 2010 era? Cause you weren't in media, right? At, at no, that time. I right? was, I was in high school and between like, yeah, I was like the year like PK got drafted. I wasn't really even like following the draft like that closely to the point where I was looking at second through seventh round picks. Like it was all about who they were trying to get in the first round. And I mean, I don't even remember if I was even had like TSN, but actually I probably did. Probably my parents probably had cable back then. But like, yeah, like it wasn't I wasn't looking at the at the draft nearly as in depth as I would now working in media or even before as like an older fan with more access to these resources. So like PK Subban wasn't somebody that I was thinking of in 2007, but maybe more like 2009, 2010 when he's going through his time with the Hamilton Bolt well, in the in the Ontario Hockey League. And then eventually, you know, making his way in the AHL and then eventually gets that call up, which I know we'll get to uh, for, for the 2010 playoffs. But like. Yeah, just those Canadians teams around then, they were very mid, very mid teams, very teams that like were not necessarily like world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I don't remember if there were any massive. I don't think there are any massive cup expectations within that realm of time. They were just it, the only thing that was really kind of exciting for Canadians fans at the time were just any potential series you can get with Boston, even if they were a better team or anything like that. Like, I think like the the elements of that rivalry, you can point to some early series in, in the early parts of the aughts. Like, that's what I really think that foundation really set in for that rivalry. But like, of course, when PK comes in, like that sets that rivalry to a whole other level, which I know we'll get to. But like, that was a very it was a calm before the storm, if you want to put it that way. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we can we can jump to that because he spends a couple of years in the OHL. They, they draft him in 2007. They leave him in Belleville for that extra year because uh, he's still able to play there. And then he goes to the Hamilton Bulldogs for the 09-10 season. 77 games and he absolutely lights it up. Like he's, he's on fire. He's one of the best defensemen in the AHL. He's uh, I guess he'd be 18, 19 at the time. Uh, play in the AHL, uh, 53 points in 77 games. They call him up for the 09-10 playoffs. And this is where I'm going to lean on you guys a little here because uh, I don't remember those playoffs very vividly, but PK was a part of that as a kid who'd played two NHL games uh, before the playoffs start. They call him up for two games and then 14 in those playoffs. I think yeah, like was... one of those two regular seasons. Oh, you go ahead, Berkshire. Well, I think the two regular season games were both against the Flyers, and it was like a back-to-back right before the Olympic break. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what it was, and they were they were like load managing Andre Markov so that he could play in the Olympics. I'm pretty sure is what the deal was, and he came in and immediately uh, pissed off Mike Richards, and that carried over <laughs> into the next season because you know he came in and and did his Subban thing right. He wasn't gonna be calm and and uh casual for anybody he came in and was crazy i think he made uh, chris pronger lose his mind a little yep. bit as well he did it was, it was it was like again like i think everyone who watched those games was like oh he's gonna continue playing after <clears throat> when the olympics are are over and he he didn't until the playoffs it was a bit of a shock because he was so good I'm for, trying to remember with Pronger if it was because he hit him at some point. I forget exactly what PK did, but in talking to like former teammates of his, or at least Matthew Darsh is the one story that comes to mind. The one thing is that PK like got the better of Chris Pronger in a regular season game. And he like told him like, Hey, suck it prongs. Like that's yep. like a story that has resonated with a lot of, of PK's former teammates. And like, this isn't a guy playing like five, six years into the league. This is like in his first like two games in the NHL, this and he's already telling like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like he's a guy telling a future Hall of Famer at the time, like, suck it, like yeah. that's that's insane, that's an immense, that's an immense amount of confidence. Yeah, and like, there's another check in the box of this guy, always loud, always making noise, never backing down from anything at any point, and that playoff run, uh, I assume it was pandemonium, Montreal, like conference finals. Dude. Back-to-back seven-game series, they knock off Washington as an eight-seed, they knock off Pittsburgh as the eight-seed, and they reach the conference finals, they play Philly and f- drop in five games. But I assume it was just crazy that in the city at the time. Dude, like, so I'll just shout out Philly for one second here. You know how crazy it was? Where not only do you get Montreal and Philly to play each other, those were the seventh and eighth seeds in the postseason that year. And, like, Montreal went through that first-round series where they beat the, where they beat the Caps, who were, like, the best team in the league that year. Then they beat Crosby in the second round. Then they get to the third round. The Philadelphia Flyers were down like 3-0 to the Boston Bruins around earlier. And then they reverse swept them and like got the better of them. Like that was an insane set of circumstances that brought those two teams together. But yeah, that entirety of that 2010 run, like I remember for me, like one story I've definitely told a few times, but I remember being in the 10th grade at the time and in the first round against the Washington Capitals, I believe it was game seven and the night of game seven, I was an assistant stage manager for a um, a musical that my high school was putting on at the time. So, like, I didn't have, like, a TV in front of me or anything. This was before the days where you had, like, TSN Direct, where you could just watch the game on your phone. So, me and, like, a few other friends, like, backstage, like, as the play's, like, going on, like, we're trying to, like, be discreet. 
we get one of our friends to like call us and like give us a play by play of everything that is happening in game seven. And when Dominic Moore scores uh, essentially the dagger in game seven to make it two nothing and basically give the Canadians a win, I'm like running around the school just like in celebration. Like, I can't believe what the hell's going on. Like, that's what it was back in those days. Like, it was, I mean, I don't know what what memories Andrew has with watching that game seven, but I know for me, I didn't even watch it. It was just a matter of figuring out like what the hell was going on. And like that memory will stay with me, like in my past days as a Canadians fan forever, like that, that stands out for me. Yeah. It was a, a crazy period of time. I mean, a lot of the focus was on rightfully Yaroslav Halak, right? He had that incredible run all around the city. You had people who were carrying stop signs with Halak on them instead of our and you had people with stickers who were putting Halak over actual stop signs all yep. around, like the downtown core. All the stop signs said Halak instead. So it was like this incredible uh, upswell. But I think people kind of forget that in that series, like the the big shutdown pair at the beginning was Hammerlick and Spachik. And in game five, Yarrow Spachik got hurt. And then PK Subban gets called up. Obviously, big moment for PK Subban. He doesn't play a ton in that Washington series, uh, you know, Andre Markov is still there. He's running things. Hammerlick is still there. Uh, you've got Hal Gill and Josh Georges as your, I believe like third pair kind of thing where they're also like shut down guys. They're just blocking every shot possible. But then game one against Pittsburgh, Andre Markov gets hit by Matt cook and his knee blows apart again. And all of a sudden PK Subban goes from like seventh, sixth defenseman to the top four, to the top pairing. And he develops immediate chemistry with Mike Camilleri, where he's setting him up constantly, scores his first NHL goal. Like he is absolutely like not just there, dominant in the Penguin series. And of course, because it's PK Subban, if there's anything about PK Subban, his entire career, and maybe until like the New Jersey days, he was the discourse. So of course, Subban, while skating, gets into a collision with uh Jordan Stahl. And somehow his skate gets on top of stall skate and slices a tendon on the top of his foot. So Pittsburgh fans despise PK Subban. There's like racist epithets going all over on like uh, Pittsburgh Twitter. There's, you know, people booing him every time he touches the puck, probably the first time he experienced that in the NHL. And that's just kind of the stuff that carries through his whole career. But he still keeps going. Like, like yep. the one thing that stands out is that like, he wasn't tentative at all. Like he was going at Sidney Crosby. And like, I mean, 2007, like this is before, no, 2010. So like Sidney Crosby, think about it. 2010, Sidney Crosby had already gone to a Stanley Cup final. Had months ago had gone to a, had scored the golden goal for Canada to win at the Olympics. Like Sidney Crosby is like the biggest thing going in this country. And in Montreal, after games where they get wins over the Penguins, people are taking to the streets and like rioting and burning like cardboard cutout heads of his face. And like PK Subban is like taking runs at him and taking that job of shutting him down. Like that's a memory that's going to stand out for so many fans forever. Not just because of the fact that PK like, you know, it tries to endure himself and introduces himself, but from day one, he tries to go at the league's best players to establish himself. Like that's, that's pretty ballsy. Oh, no, yeah. no fear, no hesitation. Nothing. No. In no aspect of his game or just any personal interaction with the players on the ice. Andrew, were you covering hockey at the time? Did you already you already kickstarted your media? Career? I 
at that time i was kind of just like writing comments on what used to be called habs inside out it was the montreal gazette's uh montreal canadians like side project thing which has now been reincorporated into the paper as hockey inside out because the montreal canadians were like hey don't use habs you're not allowed to do that <laughs> so yeah i was just like writing comments and i got to know one of the people who was involved in that site mike boone and he interviewed me for a piece because i guess i'd made an impression and i had like a prediction in the paper that the canadians would find a way to beat uh, the capitals which i guess got me some level of notoriety and i i guess it might have been during that series where i started a blog on like blog spot like way back in the day but i wasn't Man. doing anything committed right it was like whenever i felt like it and then it was the following season where the then manager who was leaving of eyes on the prize asked me to come write for them. And a year after that, I took over as managing editor. Okay. Yeah. And like through that time. So we, we have those playoffs PK rockets to the, the discourse of everybody in, in hockey, Twitter and hockey media. And then the next two seasons, because calling up for the playoffs, there, having him play those games that kickstarts his entry level deal. And that's important here because the next two seasons, he lives up to all expectations. He's doing great. And in that time, Bob Gainey's fired, the GM who drafts, uh, who drafted P.K. Subban. Mark Bergevin is brought in. Mark Bergevin is tasked with handing out P.K. Subban's next deal. And he chooses not to give Subban a long-term deal. He says, I'm going to give you a two-year bridge deal. And this is in the middle of the 2012 lockout. So the deal doesn't happen until uh, January of 2013. And, and PK is like, all right, I got a two-year deal. It's $5.75 million. Uh, the AAV is like three-point-something there. Uh, two years, prove it, do what you can do. And in that time, he wins the Norris Trophy. That first season of this two-year deal of this young player, he goes out, smashes every expectation, and wins the Norris Trophy. And Bergevin's sitting there, and he's like, I'm fucked. Gotta give this guy every dollar in the world at his next deal. What am I supposed to do? By the way, uh, you mentioned uh, Bob Gady to 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 Mark Bergevin. It's Pierre Gauthier Razor, by the way. <laughs> Completely <laughs> yeah, forgot Bob about Pierre Gauthier. Gady actually resigned, right? Uh, yeah. And, and Pierre Gauthier took over, and then he was fired. <laughs> by the way, year. shout out Bob Gady. You know, like, like I don't know. I, I can't imagine living Bob Gady's life where, yes, he has all the success as an exec, but all the personal problems uh, that occurred, unfortunately for him, with, with his family in the 2000s as well. Like, I mean, you can't tell me otherwise. Like, if you go through what he goes through, and I don't have to mention, you can look it up. I that would mess up how I go about my day to day too. So, hundred percent. I I I think so. That's that's what I feel with that. But I, but for Pierre Gauthier, I think it's important to mention that like he was kind of like the little transition in between Gainey to to Bergevin. He yeah. would refer to all of his players as a uh, Mister. I don't know if you I don't know if you <laughs> remember that, those days. Is that something that happened? Yeah, like he would immediate availabilities. He'd be like, "Yeah, Mister Such and Such and Such." But uh, yeah, he still goes to he still goes to Canadians games today. Last I checked, as a as a scout for Chicago, like you'll see him like on the list of scouts that show up the games and like a walk. When I was back in Montreal, I'd, like walk around the press room and you'd see him there. It's like, oh yeah, remember when Pierre Gauthier was general manager of the Montreal Canadiens? But such a brief time in our lives. Mm-hmm. No, it thank was, thank you guys for, sure. for uh, that's why I have you here. I have the Montreal boys <laughs> on this pod to correct me in my Pierre <laughs> Pierre erasure. So so yeah, Bergevin comes in and like I think we all know by now, and as we get through the rest of 
Bergevin and Piquet's uh, relationship, and we'll throw in Terry in there too. Uh, that's a huge part of big, this. big part of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we we I think in terms of the relationships between Piquet and, and management, the Piquet Terrier like relationship was so front facing, considering how. I don't know if you remember back in the day, there was a show called 24 Say Ash, which was essentially like well before like HBO did like Road to the Winter Classic and all those types of shows. That was like a weekly show that provided any type of insight into the day to day of the Montreal Canadiens. And like you would see instances of like Michelle Terrier, like talking to PK Subban. And some of those conversations were not necessarily pleasant. So like fans like knew straight up that like, okay, the relationship between those two guys probably isn't the best and if it wasn't through whatever they saw on tv it was through whatever coaching decision or however Terrier would speak about him and meet in availabilities after the fact whether it's pk unfortunately just giving away a puck or or making some play that Terrier deems to be you know a little bit selfless and we'll get into the triple low five at some point too with carrie price like there's there's a i think like the pk bergevin like relationship of course through the arbitration stuff that's that's one thing but I think people will remember the the relationship between PK and the head coach uh, because it was a little bit more front facing and a little bit something more day to day at the time when those two were put together. Yeah, and I think that whole like starting with the contract situation, it started off needlessly antagonistic as well when yes. when Bergevin came in. I mean, first of all, there's the hiring of Michel Therrien, who like notoriously has an issue with flamboyant behavior, right? And he comes in. The first thing that Michel Therrien says is they're going to make PK Subban a better player and a better person. And if you know anything about Michel Therrien's history and PK Subban's history off the ice, that's a wild thing to say between like the gap between them in terms of being a good person is large, very large. So saying he's going to make him a, a better person is wild. And then he goes on to talk about uh the previous two seasons where you know pk suban breaks into the nhl in the playoffs comes in the next year jacques martin kind of like sits him down a little bit he's like you're gonna be on the third pair because everyone's healthy now so he's playing with how uh he starts out with andre picard in his first season gradually he moves up onto the second pair with hal gill and then as the canadians go into the second half of that season in uh, 2010-11 pk suban is very clearly the number one defenseman he's playing more minutes than anybody else as a rookie, he is the guy that drives everything on the team. And same thing the next season. He's the number one defenseman. So you've got a 22-year-old kid up for contract who's very clearly your number one defenseman. And the first thing you're told is that thing that you do with Carey Price at the end of the game where you guys have fun and do the triple low five, that's not actually a good thing because that's putting yourselves above the team by having a celebration, just the two of you. No more that. That's not allowed. And also, we don't think you're a very good person. And you need to be a better player, and we're not going to commit to you long term. Right. And there Can were you rumors. Explain the celebration with PK and and Price. It was just during a, a rough season where the Canadians weren't winning a lot. Uh, Jacques Martin got fired, and the two of them would go to like center ice and do three low fives with each other, and then like bump uh, bump hips or something, and people loved it. It was like a, a thing to grasp onto, like two young, exciting players who were like franchise level talents who clearly had a good relationship having fun everybody loved it except for michelle tarian and by extension mark bergevin and uh, this whole situation like there were rumors at the time that 
PK Subban and his agent Don Meehan were willing to accept because this is they could have negotiated this contract before the lockout, right? And before that lockout, you could still do like the long-term deals. And the rumor that was floated around is that PK Subban and his agent wanted a 15-year deal to take him to the end of his career for six million dollars a year. Now, Subban said recently that it was seven, but still seven million dollars is not that bad considering how his career went. But uh, didn't want to do it, held out short term, and uh, it bit him. I, I also want to mention, too, uh, with regards to with the way the Canadians say they want to shape him into this like better player and better person. Like, I'm sure you can point to, and I don't have every single instance, whatever someone has tried to say that, but like it is always very interesting to hear people point out the, how the much they want to shape pk suban or how much they want to you know change him or have him play the right way or as darren pang unfortunately slipped that one time the white way like you can't tell pk suban's story without mentioning how either people in media or people or players that he's played against or people who have coached him have tried to shape him into a person that is supposed to fall in line with whatever the nhl was supposed to be or is supposed to be and I think that's what also endeared him to so many other people who didn't necessarily care that much about hockey to begin with and just saw it as this like last bastion for white people to succeed in in sports that are predominantly filled with people like them. Like P.K. Subban tried his absolute best to be this flashy guy who, you know, you didn't see in, in the NHL all that much, whether with his play or his personality or anything like that. And the fact that there were people who, look, let's be real here, who tried to shut that down. Like, it, man, like it, it, you look back at that and you kind of, you cringe. You, I mean, you were cringing at the time too, but you could cringe at that, especially looking back at that, I find. And, and I get it. Some people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, well, PK wasn't perfect either. We're not saying that he is, but like he definitely, in terms of how he, how he personified himself, like that's something that stands out for, for his career, obviously. And, and we see how players are slowly trying to do that now. Like you can make an argument that like, PK tried to usher in that wave for for the way players try to present themselves with the way that he tried to present himself too. Uh, but yeah, like just when you look back, at, especially in the early parts of his career, where you're hearing people say he should play a different way and he shouldn't, uh, you know, try to be this like cocky player. Like you have to tell those parts of that story when you when you look back at his, especially the early parts of his career. Yeah, it would be wrong to have this conversation and not talk about. Uh, something like race and uh, PK being a cocky black athlete within hockey and that rubbing people the wrong way. And there are all there are a million stories out there about every player, but there are some about PK, about him not getting along with players in the in the dressing room and, and some weird rumors that go around. And you wonder how those stories uh, leak out and like how they're perceived and how they're taken because that's a guy who's not willing to be a melting pot in the dressing room and get along with everybody because he knows who he is. He knows who he wants to be. And are, are those things perceived in the wrong way because he just wants to be him, you know? And, yeah. and, and how does race and his, his being an individual play into that stuff? And especially yeah. for, for fans of the team who are black and are of a different hue than white, like they looked at PK Subban as like a guy who was like, Oh yeah, wow. Like I could watch hockey and I see someone who looks like me. I remember having conversations with people who did not care about hockey nearly to the level that us three do. But like they'd be like, oh, PK Subban. Like PK Subban was just such an easy 
entry point for so many people beyond the beyond the sport like i I think of like you think of the canadians and the place that they have in in quebec culture like a lot of the the players who are are legends and rightfully so they're white players i think of like family members who and family friends who've like immigrated from different parts of the caribbean and whatnot who they come to to montreal and they see the canadians they're all these like white guys and they're like oh okay like maybe they don't necessarily see themselves and then they end up becoming fans of all these different teams i think about how and this is a totally different thing but like i don't i don't think it's necessarily immaterial to bring up but like you think of like indigenous communities like in in ganawagi in quebec who like like they're not Canadians fans over there. They're Boston fans because they don't want to support teams that are just all like, you know, the the flying Frenchmen and, and just white guys because of the whole disparity that's there. So seeing a guy like PK Subban, who more than just a personal color, like a black, like he like a black hockey player, like that could have been such an opportunity for for the Montreal Canadiens to really kind of embrace a player like that, knowing what attachment comes with with fans of who a fans of that player and especially with their backgrounds and and what that could bring but as i i feel this way when i was when i was a fan and i think other people felt this way too and you could point that out from the way terrien handled things the way bergevin handled things with contract stuff there were so many instances where you felt as if the team didn't fully embrace him i don't think you could ever complain that the fans didn't embrace him and definitely there were people who would side on the on the side of management especially in 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 light of the trade but like there were so many instances throughout his time in montreal where you could be like hmm it doesn't seem as if this team embraces him the same way that they should like not to make this comparison but like like a brendan gallagher for example, right? Scrappy white guy who does everything he can to work hard and be part of a team compared to a more flashier guy like PK, who is not like the status quo in the National Hockey League. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, not to be the one who is uh, the, the white guy talking about race, but I don't think you can talk about his career at all without talking about how race impacted like literally every discourse around him, not just off the ice, but on the ice too. Like there were times, especially early in his career, where like PK definitely had some issues with like limiting himself and knowing where the line is, but he got penalties early in his career for nothing for like just being on the ice and being around the refs. Like there was some stuff that went on that like on 24 CF that you could see like where they were mic'd up on the ice, things that happened between him and referees where you're like, Oh, okay. That's, that's maybe not racist, but there's some unconscious bias going on there where you're talking to him in a way that is not acceptable to treat someone in the National Hockey League or somebody that you work with. And a lot of that stuff went on. It's stuff like, you know, PK would be like all energetic before the games and like dancing in the tunnel and doing like big high fives and people would get upset about that. And then you look at like Cole Caulfield right now who does the same stuff. And obviously Cole Caulfield is not as flamboyant off the ice as uh pk suman is but everyone loves cole caulfield like there's not a single person who complains about cole caulfield being like the energy guy who's you know still happy somehow while the team is terrible whereas when the team was terrible when pk was on it anytime that he would show any like happiness or or emotion or satisfaction people would be all over him it was always the discourse pk doesn't understand he can't read the room but when it's a white player that does it it's not the same reaction, right? So there's a lot of that that tinges every little moment of PK's career. Yeah, you What's interesting now? Oh, go ahead. I just uh, want to say, like, like you said something really important in there, uh, unconscious bias. You yeah. know, like people, you, you might say, oh, okay, they weren't acting in a racist way, but 
them just seeing somebody that's different than them, there's reactions where you're going to have that unconscious bias and treat this individual differently. Yeah, and like, yeah. I would call that racism, but I think people see like a lot of white people see racism as like if you're racist you're saying like i hate this person when a lot of it is a lot more subtle than that and i feel like a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with in society today is like the more subtle parts are actually more dangerous and insidious because we're not actively fighting against that like everyone who has not lost their mind during covid knows that like nazis are bad right we don't really need to say that out loud but it's it's that little stuff that kind of slips by and that we have to like really fight. And it's like, why are you reacting this way to this specific person? Look inside your mind, like be reflective and ask yourself, honestly, why do you get so upset when this guy scores versus this guy? Right. And it's a continuing conversation that I think every, especially white people need to be having with themselves and with their families and their friends. So, but what I also want to focus on too is the fact that a player like Cole Caulfield gets to, you know, show the exuberance that he gets to show. Like, there was a time where, you know, if he played for a previous Canadians team, like, he probably wouldn't be able to do that. But now he's in an era where, like, the team itself, like, they want him to show that. And, and I don't think he's the only young NHL player. Who 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 is trying to show that when they when they can when they can right and again to kind of flip down a positive I I think PK kind of ushers in that era like I think there's like if you think of how I think there's going to be a time when NHL personalities might I mean they might never they will never be on the level of an NBA or an NFL let's be real here but at the same time they will definitely have made strides compared to what we have seen in like the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and i think when it eventually gets to that point like the way austin matthews and mitch marner like hang out and express themselves or like jack hughes or 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 some other young or trevor zegris for example like we're going to have to look back at how pk handled himself and i'm not saying like they're he's on the same level as those players at all like P.K. Subban wearing the money suit with Brandon Pruss, like, ain't nobody ever going to do that in the NHL now. But, like, you you look, you have, you have no choice but to look back at, at how P.K. handled himself and his personality, and 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 that's going to be looked at as a foundation moment for when the NHL eventually does try to, you know, realize, hey, you know what, we need to show more personality. We need we need that to happen. And I guess we can get into that when, when he eventually gets to the Nashville career and how he opens up that personality. I mean, that's the, the big thing too in Montreal, right? Like, and he mentioned this on the pivot the other day, like, you know, it, it's really about like people, a lot of people felt PK rubbed him the wrong way because he was about him and he was about being this front facing figure. And he realized that he had this brand, but like the Canadians and, and people like the Canadians and, and all that, like, they don't like the fact that like he was trying to be above this brand and that, yeah, that, that, I think that totally contributed to why so many people, were rubbed the wrong way with this style of play. But we see now, like, all these players try to have all their their own brands. They just, I don't know, they, they're just not doing it the way PK did. Right. And and Cole Caulfield and him being embraced now is a good uh, moment to bring it back to PK and where we are in the timeline because we get to 2013-14, another conference finals berth for the Montreal Canadiens. They go up against the New York Rangers and, and lose in those conference finals. And PK, once again, is a star in those two years. You know, he, he has a Norse Trophy, teams in the conference finals. They have a star. And then 
that offseason, August 2nd, Mark Bergevin hands out, I look at it as the most reluctant handout of a contract in the history of the NHL. He's like, I don't want you at all. We don't get along. You don't get along with Michelle Therrien. And by extension, I'm not the biggest fan of you. But here's $72 million over eight years. And there's one clause in there where I'm going to get away with everything here. I'm going to give you the contract, but I also have my out. And that is the no trade clause that doesn't kick in until July 1st of 2016. So that first season, you have to play under this contract. You get to play it. And then the next season, if I don't like how this is going, I have an option to trade you before you're here as a Montreal Canadian forever. Because PK is not waiving that no trade clause if it ever kicks in. Now, how did you guys see that contract negotiation go down? It took it took a while. It took a month. It didn't get handed out until August. So much uh, contention. It played out uh, in the media largely, uh, them going back and forth. And he finally gets the deal. But then there's that one no trade clause that doesn't kick in till two years in. Yeah, like yeah. for me, I think that once that deal was done, it was a matter of, from what I remember the discussion being, it was a matter of, is PK going to see this deal through as a Montreal Canadian? And I had serious doubts. Like, I think I, I remember the discussion, at least for me, like I wasn't doing any big media stuff. I would just like post on Facebook, like just random status updates. We're like, hey, PK, PK signed for this. Like, it didn't strike me in my mind that like, oh, yeah, they signed this deal for PK Subban to be a Montreal Canadian for life. Considering how contentious it was, considering the bad blood that seemed to be seeping out in the media with whatever updates we we're getting every day, it felt like, OK, like this is. I don't think the Canadians are going to at least PK as a Montreal Canadian. I I had serious doubts about him finishing his career as a Montreal Canadian, considering how all that went. Yeah, I mean, I remember I wrote a column before the contract was even handed out, I believe. Yeah, it was actually beginning of the season in 2014. I wrote that uh, with his contract coming out, having just won a Norris trophy and, you know, in the midst of another strong season that, People were going to turn on him. And the reason why is money. The Canadians made a huge mistake by doing a bridge deal on him. He made them pay mm -hmm. for it by, you know, ascending by to be well. a, a top three. Yeah. By being a top three defenseman in the entire league for the following two years. And now they're going to have to pay him. And with that money comes pressure and people will turn on him, both fans and people within the organization. I think that that whole contract negotiation, again, was like needlessly antagonistic. They could have solved it relatively easy um but they had to bring him to arbitration they had to do their little like takedown hit job they had to leak things to the media to try to make him look bad which you know they did again post trade uh it was always about trying to knock pk down a step instead of make him the best player possible it, it was like a humbling that they had to do they felt like they had to take him down and it's just it speaks to the way that the Canadians operated at that time that like the idea that a player could have a bigger brand than the team was a threat and not something that they would take advantage of and then market. It just makes no sense. And it's one of those hockey things where, you know, in every other North American sport, having a giant star of a player whose brand and popularity goes outside of your own market is a chance to gain new fans and make the organization a heck of a lot of money while also being good. And the Canadians couldn't see past it. And it was just, 
you knew that there was something that was going to go wrong. But at the same time, I think watching how good Subban was and how big of a part of that team he was, it was hard to imagine them ever actually making the sack, like the, the actual move to move on from him because the fan revolt would be incredible. And it was, you know, even with how that trade ended up and, and having the Stanley Cup final run, it wasn't until that Stanley Cup final run, I think, where a huge percentage of the fan base came back into the fold at all. And even then, there are still holdouts that probably have started to come back now that Mark Bergevin is gone and there's been a changeover in the organization. But when that trade happened, the fan base was split. Like there, there was a reason why the Bell Center for the following several years was not selling out. And they still aren't now because the team is terrible. But there was a clear demarcation point where fans were no longer engaged. Like you could feel it in the fan base. There was a huge percentage of people who no longer wanted anything to do with the team. Also like up until, Oh, sorry. I just want to say up until that cup run year two, I think, uh, I think that's when the debate of who won the PK Subban trade, I think it really, I think it pretty much ran right up until like that cup final too. Cause like, this was not something that people just debated for like a couple of weeks and then they just let die. Like people would regularly have discussions about whether or not the Canadians were better off shipping off PK Subban for, for Shea Weber. And like here, my thing about that trade, not to jump ahead, but like, if the Canadians were going to move on from a player like P.K. Subban, they needed a forward at that time. The rumor going around was that like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was like, I think still coming up in the draft, like that was like the ideal move that the Canadians should have done. But they end up making this move for Shea Weber, who is going to be is likely going to be a Hall of Fame defenseman, this imposing figure who, you know, tried his best to, you know, fit in with what the Canadians were doing. It was a good, a good, a good defenseman for them, but I don't really feel as if like he played his absolute best until that cup final run. That ended up being the last we ever saw of Shea Weber in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. And, and again, just with, with PK, even throughout all that, like people were just saying like, oh, well, well, PK went to a cup final the first year. PK was this dynamic defenseman. Shea Weber's a slower guy. Like he didn't, he was a good defenseman to have, a great defenseman to have, but like, did he fit the exact hole that was needed? There are obviously people who who are much better at debating the other side of that argument too. Like we were on the precipice with regards to PK's career of, you know, you say controversial, I think polarizing is such a better word to describe PK and also that move that ultimately, like, I don't want to say divides the entire fan base, but there are definitely factions of that fan base who check out and even casuals who were into the team because of that player, they feel like, all right, well, I'm not I'm not tapping into this because like this team never embraced this player. Of course, they're going to say, yeah, racism is a huge part of it. So that's a complete turnoff from 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 the Canadians. So like it's a very I, I definitely think there are fans within that time in the post PK years who felt very weird about either cheering for the team or watching the team or like straight up, like not cheering for them at all. Like we have a mutual friend who straight up just was like a big, like PK fan, big, like Canadians fan who like completely like disassociated themselves. Uh, I'm thinking of our, our good friend, Robin Flynn completely disassociated themselves. So they were very open about the Canadians fans, fandom on Twitter. There are, I'm sure there were a bunch of fans like that. And I mean, I mean, to be personal here too, like, I I stopped being a Canadiens fan like right after he left. Like it was Same. there were some other there were other reasons that contributed to that too. But like yeah, like after that happened, I was like, okay, well, like I don't know, like how for especially for someone who looks like me with the way you guys handle PK, like how am I going to be a fan of this team? Like it doesn't it it didn't really sit that well. So it is no. kind of funny with the way things kind of played out for me in my life, but also like 
Yeah, like I, I think I, I know my reasons and I, I definitely know I wasn't alone in in disassociating in terms of fandom with that team as a result of him being gone. Yeah, I think there was like a confluence of factors that made it even more of like a betrayal for the fan base, right? Because when they signed PK to that big contract, I remember specifically Jeff Molson came out and he was like, I promise the fans like PK is going to be here the whole time. This is a big deal for us, too. And we were like, OK, PK is going to be here for life. And then a couple days before the trade was the draft, right? And there's a lot of rumors swirling TSN saying that like, oh, you know, PK Subban could be traded to Edmonton for Taylor Hall. And I was like, that's, there's no way that they're actually going to trade PK Subban. And Mark Bergevin at the draft says, uh, we're not talking about trading PK Subban. We're not shopping PK Subban. We're not going to trade PK Subban. And it's like literally the next day they trade him for Shea Weber. And all this stuff comes out about how they'd had like trade packages, uh, like analysis done from different analytics companies. And so this has been going on for a long time. It wasn't as if David Poyle called after the draft and offered Shea Weber out of nowhere. So like all this stuff happening while well, you're not just, you're not just not telling people stuff. You're straight up lying to the fan base and to the media about what's going on. And like, sure. That's part of the business is you don't want to give away what you're trying to do, but with this player, it was so personal because he was so loved by the fan base and everyone could tell that there was a hesitance between the coach and the GM fully embracing this player. So there was always the, like that fear in the back of their mind, like, oh, we're going to lose PK Subban because these guys are in charge. And that's what ended up happening. Yeah. And there, I think I'm so happy you guys agree because like I, I was putting out the timeline here and I have there's a direct line where it's before the PK trade and after the PK trade with Montreal Canadiens fans like there's an AD and a BC and it seems like there's a clear divide in the fan base and it's, it's June 29th 2016 uh, so much has been writ- written about that day because Elliot Friedman in his big read for sportsnet.ca he called it the 23 minutes that shook the hockey world it was the from 334 to 357 Edmonton traded Taylor Hall to New Jersey for Adam Larson. Montreal swapped uh, PK and Shea Weber. And then 357, Stamkos chooses to stay in Tampa Bay. Like that all happens in that 23 minutes. And the focus here, obviously, is the 354 uh, trade call with Montreal and Nashville. And so much has been written about it that we kind of know the exact moment when Terry Ann and Bergman made up their mind because Nick Kiprios reported uh, that that year that on February 17th, there was a turnover uh, in a 3-2 loss to Colorado. Um, yeah, I remember that. PK trying to make something happen as the season spiraled out of control was stripped of the puck near the Avalanche blue line. Uh, it was taken from him. Uh, with 2.10 remaining in regulation, seven seconds later, Jerome McGinley scored the game-winning goal. Montreal head coach Michel Therrien did not hide his displeasure, benching Subban for the last two shifts, singling out the mistake to reporters. And at that moment, the media in Montreal says that, hey, that's when they decided we're going to get rid of him. The no-move tri- no clause that I mentioned before kicks in on July 1st, we got to do this deal before that date if we don't want this player on the roster. And the whole time, as you guys beautifully explained, they never got along. Bergevin, Terrian, that trio, they were never, or the duo was never happy with PK, and they pulled the deal. They they pulled the they did the deal on on 
June 29th. And where were you guys at the time when that all went down? I was in my parents' basement uh, packing to move to Syracuse. I did a grad degree in 2016 and 2017 uh, in upstate New York uh, just for like a whole year. And that was legit like the day before like my parents, like we all got in our car and drove down to my apartment in the States. So I was legit like in my basement, like packing all of my stuff, like getting ready to move. And then I see like the Taylor Hall move happen and we're like, holy crap, like the Edmonton Oilers are going to do this. And at that point, we're thinking like, okay, well, the, the discourse for the next little while is why the hell the Edmonton Oilers would trade Taylor Hall, their first overall pick for Adam Larson, uh, Adam Larson, good defenseman, but Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. And we just thought, okay, this is just what we're going to talk about for the next little while. And like, especially with how we are on the internet, like everyone started piling on the trade already. And then within minutes, like Nick Kiprios, like breaks the news that PK gets traded. I was like, what like i couldn't like there was a part of me that was like wow like that happened but there was another part of me that was like yeah that that sounds about right like they like just the idea because i mean you go back to that day in colorado i mean yeah like where do you go from there like it, it seemed as if like that was a bit of a final straw with management and with the way and with pk suban like it just seemed inevitable that like he was not going to finish his career like i wasn't i wasn't i, I didn't necessarily predict that like it would happen that off season but it did not surprise me that PK would end up getting moved. And then at that point, I thought, well, okay, if that's all going to happen, uh, I, I don't know why Steven Stamkos popped in my head not too long after the trade was made. But at that at that point, there was serious discussion about whether or not he'd test the free agent market. And like one thing that was brought up was how PK and Steven Stamkos had some kind of relationship, right? So, like, there was, like, yep. a genuine thought that, like, hmm, what if the Canadians find a way to get Steven Stamkos and they bring those two together and all that, and then Steven Stamkos gets signed by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Also, shout out Nick Kiprios, by the way, who broke that PK would get traded, um, broke that he would win the Norris Trophy. Nick Kiprios was, like, this low-key, like, PK Sue band, like, like news guy or soothsayer also, or whatever you want to name. Like, he broke he those broke stories. the news about Weber, too, that everyone made fun of him about. Remember? Yeah, he was saying that's true. Weber was going to end his career due to injury and then Weber like pretended to be an old man on the ice the next practice and was like no man you've been injured the whole time but uh, no, he he broke that months in advance too it was like did. in the February and then they went on the cup run and Shea Weber's there and everything and then he ends his career due to injury he knew like it was happening Nick Kiprios man yeah. like we a lot of people like to like to dump on Nick Kiprios I, I will give him his love for that like he he knew what was what yeah, but go ahead. his sources. <laughs> but I mean, uh, that day for me, you know, how sometimes when you're on Twitter and you can kind of like feel the temperature going like up and down when like a crazy event happens. Well, I was I was working. That was the end of my first year at SportLogic at the time. So I, at the time I was writing through SportLogic for Sportsnet and RDS. So my RDS articles, I'd have to write in English and then send to a translator and then I have to translate the graphs as well to, and then send it to RDS. So when the Taylor Hall trade happens, there it was this bubbling of like anticipation of like Taylor Hall for PK Subban that was possibly going to happen. Taylor Hall trade happens. And I specifically remember sending a tweet to a bunch of Oilers fans that I was friends with. I was like, ah, you thought you were going to get PK Subban. You got Adam Larson. That's hilarious. And <laughs> you're like, just chirping like crazy right and i believe i sent a message to bob mckenzie too about like ah oh, see the trade didn't happen and then it was like five you sent minutes a message later, to bob mckenzie yes and <laughs> what seriously through what it's, you got it like that 
I was like chirping him, right? Because we had oh, gone so you back like and tweeted forth. at him. You didn't like DM him. No, no, no. I, he didn't. Uh, I think he did follow me at the time, but I didn't. I wasn't going to DM him to chirp him. Oh, I was going to okay. chirp him. <laughs> wow. In front of everyone. And because he had chirped me earlier on. You in the leaned season. into Jerkshire hard in 2016. I did. I did. Good and then Lord. the Wild Kiprios West. tweets that Subban's traded as well for Weber. And I was like, is this a joke? Mm-hmm. Like, is what the hell is going on? Because you could see once the the hall trade happened there was like this collective relief among habs twitter it was like okay so pk suban is not going anywhere this is the only guy available who is like has anywhere near his value not going to happen so then it happens again and everything explodes immediately i've got emails from my editors at sportsnet and rds we want columns right away so i have to write the rds one first because it needs to take time to translate before it can go out then i've got to write the sportsnet one i've got to make them different so I've got to take different tacks on both of them, like in terms of how I'm going to analyze this trade. I put out uh, the Sportsnet one still comes out first because of the whole translating thing. Steve, who was working for Sportsnet at the time, like I think it was his first or second year there. Mm-hmm. And he's doing the like, uh, I don't know what he was doing exactly. Some online thing. But anyway, Steve's he tells me first year at Sportsnet, he used to send out a newsletter uh, every yeah, year. All the Roger, I worked at Rogers, so I got them. It was just like an NHL newsletter of like, what happened last night? Like that was exactly. his first ever gig at Sportsnet. But I guess he had access to like the data on like what was getting clicks on sportsnet.ca. Yeah. And a couple of days later, he was sending me that, like that Subban article was the most read column on Sportsnet that year so i was like oh that entire year yeah yeah the entire year i think there was like one baseball story that ended up being bigger i don't know if it was the bat flip year that year that would have been bat flip year 2016 yeah yeah so that was like the one thing that beat it by the end of the year oh it was like the population of saskatchewan (laughs) read that call (laughs) guys guys there's like a completely like there's one very important thing we have not mentioned. And I wasn't sure what it was going to get mentioned at all. We that? have not mentioned PK Subban donating that money to the children's hospital. And how that was perceived. And how it was perceived. Right. We have not mentioned that at all. Expl- explain when this happened and what went down. Well, like God, we should also uh, say it wasn't a donation, right? It was a pledge. Right. A pledge for like the next like, like what, like decade? Yeah. Yeah. Ten years. Yeah. I'm it, trying yeah, to remember. It wasn't, it wasn't the actual money. It was I'm going to do this. Still, yeah, but like, like a portion of the money he did donate, I think it was like 1.5 million or something like that. But yeah, uh, yeah, there was a whole thing about how like initially what he wanted to do was just to create the the uh, the charity PK's Helping Hands and raise the money and not necessarily make it a big event, which is strange for PK. But the directors of the hospital, the children's hospital, said, "Listen, we will make so much more money." if we do a big event and you appear and you know, like we name the atrium after you, people will come to that. It'll get attention and then we'll get more donations. So he's like, okay. So he invited like teammates. He invited uh coaching staff, obviously Mark Bergevin. The only person who showed up, I believe was Jeff Molson to the donation. And at the time there was like a mix between people being like, wow, this is amazing. And then there's a huge group of people who are like, he's campaigning for the captaincy because it was right <laughs> oh, before yeah. training camp. Yeah, was, we didn't yeah. even get we didn't even get to that either. Oh yeah. man. And people were like, well, he was clearly this is all a ruse to try to get himself more attention. And he, people accused him of like not actually caring about it, which if you know anything about him, like if there's anybody who cares about the actual work they do with kids in the history of the league, 
it's PK Subban. Mm-hmm. He cares so much about those kids. The fact that like, even when he was in Nashville, he was coming back, visiting the hospital, doing like Christmas events for them. Like he, he cares. He was at the children's hospital this week, uh, yesterday, I believe, uh, because he's in town, right? Doing the ceremony. Yep. Correct. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Man, just like, even after the trade happened, like, there's a part in, in Montreal, if you're trying to drive into downtown and you're, I guess you're going through the, I'm trying to remember what it's called. If it's a Turcotte interchange, I don't remember the specific part of the highway. But I know for me, like in the part of town that I live, if I'm making that drive, uh, he- basically heading towards downtown up this highway, I would like look to, you look to your left, or if you're coming from downtown, you're heading into my part of my, well, essentially sort of where Andrew lives now and where I used to live. You can see the hospital like up high on this like high mountain. And like for years, and I'm, I'm pretty sure like it wouldn't surprise you if they still kept doing it. You'd see this like giant banner of like PK Subban, like with some child, like that's how much like the donation or the pledge and, and his presence around that hospital, like resonated like years after the fact he had been dealt away, like the, the children's hospital definitely like they, they upheld that, like they knew how much PK meant to that and the fact that like you know there's so many so many stories about how like oh like the canadians say they weren't really involved and they didn't like the fact that they weren't involved in everything that was going on and they felt they're being shown up with with the way that all went down like i don't know like for me like i think with all the other call outs and stuff like that but like when that happened and like there wasn't this like endorsement from the team you're like okay like something's really really bad like i don't even think he won like like there was like a probably community war for the Canadians. He didn't win that. Like, like it's like, like no. Like you knew. Like it was so obvious that like you there was this the whole time. There's this yeah. discord. Not to mention we have to also talk about the whole fight. Well, not fight, but like the 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 supposed vote for for a captaincy, right? Like people thought hey, is is PK going to be captain? Should it be Brendan Gallagher? Is Max Pacioretty captain? Like there's there's the famous photo outside of the the golf course in Laval where it's like PK. I think it's 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 patches. I think it's it's Markov. This they're all wearing A's. Like it's like okay, like like there's a, all these different instances where they could have embraced PK the way that they could have, and it's just just media attention and controversy everywhere that it goes. There are so many other stories with PK that like we don't even have all the time to get right. into on this podcast. <laughs> like it's just just there was just so much stuff, yeah. just so much stuff. So he goes to Nashville. Trade happens. Nashville. Good fan Lord. base is upset at Montreal. He goes to the Stanley Cup final. PK kind of he elevates into this other stratosphere, even because the the trade is kind of his villain origin story. So now PK is this this guy who's who's done wrong by Montreal, and he's thriving in Nashville in the Stanley Cup final, and everybody's kind. I don't know. I was rooting for Nashville when they were going up against Pittsburgh. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I wanted to see him do it. He becomes NHL cover star amongst all that, and I, I'll get your guys' thoughts on the Nashville years before. We get to, hey, he just shipped off New Jersey and then the career kind of fizzles out. Yeah, I think we have to kind of preface it by his last game in Montreal, right? Uh, There was he he goes in for a puck and Alexi Emelin gets in front of him and somehow like slams his butt into the top of PK's head. And from that moment on, there's like continuing back injuries that PK is dealing with the rest of his career. And as much as he insists that he's healthy, it's uh, not what I have heard from my insiders no. around the league, including in Nashville. Bob McKenzie? But, no, I'm <laughs> no, no. I, I forgot to even mention that Bob McKenzie, after the trade went down, dunked on me in public. He like <laughs> quote tweeted. <laughs> 
And then no. right after, right after he quote tweeted me, he DM'd me to apologize. He's like, I hope you didn't think that was a cross line. I was like, no, that was amazing. Oh, Do it oh again. My God, and he was no. like, just making sure you didn't think the fuckers at TSN were coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> it is an honor to be chirped by Bob McKenzie. A hundred percent, right? But <laughs> no uh, yeah, so PK missed the beginning of that season with a back injury, right? And of course, you've got like the Canadians rank and file who defer to management on everything. Be like, oh look, Shea Weber's healthy and PK is already washed. Subban comes back and he's in a really strong top four in Nashville. They go to the Stanley Cup final, but uh, the next year, obviously, he was uh, nominated for a Norris. Uh, I forget who won the year. I think it was Drew Doughty. Should have been Eric Carlson, but anyway, uh, he got one eventually. Uh, yeah, after yeah. that. <laughs> year things start to trend downward the back injuries start to be more uh debilitating i think there was some choices that he made with his training staff that kind of changed the way he played he was it's like he bought into a lot of the criticisms of his play and like people look at pk and like okay you've got a great slap shot and you're physical and he was like okay so that's what i'm going to do i'm going to do the slap shot and i'm going to be physical and in getting a bigger body he lost some of his speed which is what truly made him special his agility and in focusing more on shooting he lost a lot of his playmaking capability which is what made him a big power play guy back in the day so it it was like things kind of started getting away from him and then he gets traded for almost nothing for cap space so the predators can get duchenne and new jersey just never works out because i think pk at the end of it is like he has to be on a competitive team, just the way that he functions. If he's on a bad team, I think you'll notice his bad plays more often because, you know, everything's going to fall apart on a bad team. But he needs to have the moment, right? Like, that's what everything about PK is finding the moment. He wants to be the guy who does something great. And when there's no opportunity for that, I think there's less motivation as well. Yeah, I think you I nailed think it, it. Oh, with, with how the Nashville uh, situation went in those last couple of years with the training regimen that he was on. Because what I've heard is that he he had his own outside training staff and his own. He didn't use the internal ones and the the skills coaches who would develop his game in the correct way. He went a more uh, like deadlift lifting route where you're doing heavy weights. And for somebody with a bad back. That clearly did not uh, help him in any way, and yeah, him trying to get bigger uh, as he's as he's hitting thirty, it was an odd choice. I think I don't I don't know obviously, but I think he might have received some bad advice or he's listening to the wrong people because it clearly didn't help his game in any way. And from there, we see it trend down and become a cap space dump. But go ahead, Julian. I was also going to say like we we have to like while it is important to mention his play on the ice like PK's star in terms of like his visibility uh in terms of the the off ice stuff he's doing with the charities with with he's done in Nashville but also just like him showing up at the SPs and 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 being with Lindsey Vaughn like you trace that to that trade like I always I always say like when people say like who wins the trade Montreal or Nashville the answer is PK Subban one of my early memories being at Syracuse I've never told the story before. One of my earliest memories being at Syracuse, I was in this like one like kind of sports business class or like just this one class where you're learning about like how like the score bug came to be and and how all these different things that we see on TV and production comes to be. This one guest comes in in one of the first classes I've had 
at Syracuse in this particular class. It's Steve Mayer who is in charge of like content and like events and stuff for the National Hockey League. And like everyone in this class at this point is like, they don't, they're not hockey fans necessarily. They're just like, I don't know who the hell this guy is. I'm like, this is the exact guy I want to talk to because I want to have all these PK Zubat questions. And I remember going to him after that, being like, yo, man, so like PK's in Nashville, like, how do you guys feel about that? And like, I mean, I mean, I don't, this is, I mean, this sounds kind of weird. It's like a student kind of reliving a past conversation with not necessarily like an on the record conversation, but essentially like they liked the fact that he was out of Montreal because they knew that the team that he was on was all about the crest and not necessarily about this brand that he was trying to pick up. And they realized that him, you know, being on a team that maybe didn't care about that that much, an American market in the South, they recognized there was an opportunity to take advantage of that marketability so it was not an accident that we would see all these other little extracurricular activities with with pk suban with with a podcast or 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 the SPs or the nhl awards or all this other extra stuff that they had him doing that went beyond him playing like it would it was like yeah, like the, the NHL realized, like, okay, we have a player who wants to market themselves. We need to market more players to try to get some kind of American audience in. And, like, it's no accident that, like, you know, maybe not a lot of people nowadays know who some of the big NHL stars are, but they know who P.K. Subban is. Like, the Nashville trade, him being in a U.S. market, like, that plays a huge, huge role in in how a star is perceived not just among like hockey fans, but like in terms of of other athletes, you know, like I, I think that plays a huge role in that. That trade does so much for him in terms of how he is, uh, how in terms of his personality and how that gets broadcasted to the wider hockey community and and beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it opens and- up the American market to him. It's one of those things where like if he had finished his career in Montreal, the exact same arc happened but he'd played in Montreal the whole time. Would he be working for Sportsnet now instead of ESPN? Right. You know, like opening Great up that question. American market, right? Like yeah. I'm assuming he's making a lot more money at ESPN than he would be at Sportsnet. Yeah, and like the Nashville years seem so much longer than they actually were. Like when I think about it, it feels like he was there for so long. But it was three years, it was three seasons, and like parts of three seasons because he missed a couple, uh, missed a couple games in there due to injury. And like, yeah, being going down to the states and being an American star in a city like Nashville that all they do is is create entertainment product. Like that's that's a city that thrives on entertainment and music and him playing there as one of the the big stars of that that team. Like for him, yeah, it skyrocketed his career. And then we see the injuries happen. And then Andrew, I think you you nailed it with three lackluster years in New Jersey because he can't get up for uh, a team that's rebuilding. He can't find the motivation there because uh, he needs that energy to feed off of. And he said it. He said it himself in the interviews that he's done this week and that he's he's never thought of himself as a replacement player. This is what he said to Michael Trakos in the Toronto Sun. Son, I always I was always a top player in this league. I didn't want to be a player who was in and out of the lineup every night. He couldn't be in a rebuilding situation. He couldn't be towards the bottom of the lineup. He said money was never an issue. It was about the opportunity to come in and help a team win. I wanted to win a Stanley Cup, but those opportunities were never presented to me. 
final thoughts yeah. here before we wrap the show. We've gone over an hour. I'm sorry for keeping you guys so long, but his career is you like PK Sue bad. Like if this was like a 20 minute podcast, like that's not enough. Right. No. But there's so many topics, so many different things mm-hmm. you can discuss with PK Sue bad. So I'm not completely surprised. I, I will say this, like I, my thinking was that PK would at least catch on with like a PTO with some team, but knowing that his motivation was to play for a cup contending team. I mean, that makes sense maybe some teams just felt you know what he might not be fast enough with the way the game is playing and it might not be worth uh having as like a a seventh defenseman for those types of teams uh there were people in the offseason were wondering like hey is a does a Montreal Canadiens reunion make sense and there was a part of me that wondered like hmm like you know what what's it gonna hurt like that would be an easy way to mend fences with the fans and you know, you're not going to win many games anyway. So, like, you might as well just put him in your lineup. But maybe this way where they're, you know, they get to have this night where they honor him. Maybe that does things. Maybe that works out a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it is a bit interesting to know that P.K. Subban uh, is not playing anymore. But I also thought, like, considering that he got the attention off the ice with working with ESPN even before he had actually announced his retirement. Remember, he was doing work with them in the playoffs. Right. Um, like... I always felt like because he had that avenue open, I felt like, well, he could always just retire and and just kind of do the media thing and let his influence kind of, you know, resonate there. Like there are NHL players who are going to go on to have NHL careers and are going to go on to be a hockey hall of famers. And we're going to remember them for the rest of their lives. I think PK's in this phase of his life now where if he plays his cards correctly with the media thing and his influence on on younger players like he could find a way to still be some kind of influencer in the game just that goes well beyond what he was able to do as a player and still be someone who resonates for particular generation for a particular generation and generations to come for a long time it just depends on how he plays it so yeah uh pk suban a very polarizing figure um but definitely a a player who is responsible for for tons of individual individual memories. Like, I mean, we think about the what he did in the playoffs in 2010. We didn't even go up into the fact that he blew up Brad Marshall on that one game or the goal yep. out the penalty box in the playoffs. Right. Like, there are so many moments you, Canadians fans can point to with P.K. Subban that have made their fandom what it is. That, like, and no disrespect to Shea Weber, Hall of Fame defenseman, he did not have nearly half of those moments that P.K. Subban provided. And like it, that's just what his legacy is, and, and PK's legacy is a Montreal Canadian. I think, especially with the fact that they're having the night for him, like a great way to mend fences, as I meant, mentioned before. But like a lot of members are going to swell up and they're going to come back, and I think people will look a little bit more fondly on the PK Subban days now as time has gone by and 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 wounds have healed. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I will say I'm going to be forever a little bit bitter towards PK Subban for retiring when he's younger than me. <laughs> that's a little bit offensive honestly NHLers retiring who are younger than me but uh, you know it was going to happen eventually I was hoping that it would wait until I was in my like late 30s first but alright PK thanks a lot feel old now but uh, I, I think that, <laughs> I know but it feels old but uh, I think that you look at what PK is able to do I, I agree with Julian that he's going to be a bigger factor on the game post career than, than during his career and you know, I'll respect Shea Weber forever for what he did to create that Stanley Cup final run because you can you look at the Canadians lineup. There's a ton of credit. Ton of credit. Carey Price, Shea Weber, Paul Byron, Brennan Gallagher, Eric Stahl, all got all four guys, five guys, sorry, 
basically missed the next year, you know, and price Subban or price uh, Weber and Byron longer. And Eric Stahl just now is starting to get back to what we expect from Eric Stahl. Like those guys, the reason they got that far is because they sacrificed their health and their careers to push themselves to a level that shouldn't have been possible to get that, frankly, underwhelming team to the Stanley Cup final. And it's really sad for all those guys and what they sacrificed. They weren't able to get the end goal, but it was incredibly thrilling to watch. But P.K. Subban was the guy. And Shea Weber, when he was in Montreal, was never the guy. He he was never the guy that like dictated the temperature of a game, dictated the pace of a game. He was a number two to Jeff Petrie, who ironically was better than both Subban and uh, Weber for the rest of the like post trade. If you put it all together, yeah. better than both yeah. of them. Wild situation, mm-hmm. and then fell and off from Edmonton too, which is kind of funny. It, yeah. Very funny, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> I, I think my when I look back at PK Subban and his career, I see an absolute playoff warrior, a guy who's going to fundamentally change NHL culture and the way players operate in a in a very needed way. And I think blaze the trail for I I hope he blazed the trail for a lot of people of color to show who they are and be impact players in the NHL in the next generation. I I am assuming that that's going to be a big impact going forward because I just can't see how him being there and being out front wouldn't inspire that because the NHL frankly needs it big time. Oh yeah. And if that's his lasting legacy, like one hell of a career. And uh, we, we tried to touch on everything we could here, but there's so many more Again, stories. So much PK stuff. And like that, that speaks to his career and the impact he had on the NHL. Like how many guys can say that, you know, that they made this much noise during a short stint, 800 games is, is nothing to laugh at, but like, he thinks he had some more legs in him, and I, I definitely agree. If he had that motivation to keep playing, if he wanted to chase that Stanley Cup, he could find a place in the league to do that. Um, but he didn't want to do it. You know, there's, there's, It's easier to make money sitting in a studio than sacrificing your body every day for an NHL deal. You know, so no I don't. Really I, I live, I live that every day doing the CJ show. I totally <laughs> understand. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for doing this. This was amazing, and uh, we should do this again sometime soon. For sure. Jesse, Thanks, I'm Jesse. really happy we were able to do an episode where we didn't argue at each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll bring you back for when I want to discredit every Stanley Cup winner again. Jesus, oh not this again. Well, the last time this I was for- on, I was calling Jesse out too, so. <laughs> Yo, man, Jesse just, Jesse's just this guy who just wants to be like a disturber. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yo, hey, I'm, I'm cutting off the show. No more, <laughs> sla- no more Jesse Blake slander on the Jesse Blake Sports Report. And that is how it's done. The Jesse Blake Sports Report with Jesse Blake, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Jesse Blake, the guy that likes to hear his name twice in one sentence. Sure, I know him. No, he doesn't have an ego at all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.